If you would, join me in the Word in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Just as we continue studying through John's Gospel, we're now in the seventh chapter. We began to look at this chapter last week. Just continue right on through. And I just want to draw your attention to one verse, and then we'll set it in its context as we get to going, but it's going to kind of just form the main point for this week's message and next week's. It's something Jesus says, and it's in verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Notice what he says. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, by every appearance to this crowd, when they see Jesus, he seems like nothing. He was unimpressive. He was ordinary. He was not what they wanted. He was not what they expected a Messiah to be. And as they evaluated that, they set him aside. I pray that, Father, you would help us, that we would not judge, we would not evaluate by the world's standards. But we would evaluate by your word. Pray that, Lord, you would just bless us in your word today as we study it together. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we just read one verse. Do not judge by appearances, but judge right, by right judgment. If we set that in the context, we need to run through the chapter real quickly, and we're going to read some various parts of it. We began last week by looking in verses 1 through about verse 14, when it sets the context that it was after this that Jesus had been going about in Galilee. Remember, that's in connection to chapter 6 and the feeding of the 5,000. And then we come to the Feast of Booths, and we talked about what the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, is. We looked at that last week. And so the Feast of Booths has come, and Jesus' brothers, his earthly brothers, are going to go up to Jerusalem to the feast, and they tell Jesus, come on with us, and when you're down there, you know, dazzle the crowd by doing more miracles, because they said to him, you know, no one who wants to be known publicly does things in private, but he goes and he shows himself to the world. And if you remember, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. The world can't hate you, but it hates me. 
because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after, remember this last week, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, but he didn't go publicly. He didn't go as a part of the great caravans of Jews who were working their way to the feast. He goes up in private with probably just his small group of inner circle of disciples, his apostles, And all of the Jews were looking for him at the feast, and they were saying, where is he? And there was a lot of muttering, there was a lot of murmuring about him among the people. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading everyone astray. Yet because of the fear of the Jews, no one was speaking about him openly. And then it's at about the middle of the feast. Remember, this is a long, week-long feast. And it's right about the middle of it. Maybe Wednesday, who knows, but it's about that. About the middle of the feast, Jesus goes up into the temple and he began to teach. The Jews marveled. They're listening to him teach these Jewish leaders, when it says Jews there, it's not just talking about the crowd, it's talking about the Jewish leaders, the leaders of the nation. And so the Jewish leaders, the leaders of the nation, are marveling, they are amazed, and this is what they're saying. How is it that this man has letters, that's the Greek word, has letters, has learning? How is it that this man, who is a carpenter, who's a Galilean, who's a nothing. How is it that he knows anything? How is it that he is learning? He's never studied in the rabbinic schools. He has no PhD behind his name. How is it that this man is teaching? So Jesus answered and said, my teaching is not mine. It is the one who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? He's asking a penetrating question to people who have not even acknowledged this in public, and yet Jesus, knowing all things, says to them, Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus answered them, or excuse me, the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work. Now, that one work that he is mentioning is what we read in chapter 5 when it said Jesus healed the paralytic who was at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. Remember that? We studied that. He is referring to that one work. Jesus is not saying that's the only miracle he did. He is referencing the one miracle that he had done in Jerusalem that has become 
a source of contention with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He said, I did one minute, I did one work here. You all marveled at it. Notice what he says here in verse 22. This is very important in connection to what we read in verse 24. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but it is from the fathers. Who really received the sign of circumcision as the sign of the covenant of God with Israel? It was Abraham, right? The Abrahamic covenant, the sign of that, was the sign of circumcision. And yet Moses is the one who really codifies that into the Jewish law. And so Jesus is acknowledging that. He says, yes, Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it originally derived from Moses, but it comes from the fathers. And then Jesus says, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Right? Now remember, in the Abrahamic law, when a baby was born... He was to be circumcised on which day of his life? Remember that? The eighth day. That's what God prescribed. And what Jesus is saying here is this. If a baby is born and the eighth day of his life just happens to be the Sabbath, do you say, well, since it's the Sabbath, we're not going to circumcise him? No, what do you do? You circumcise him. You don't wait the extra day. You do it on that day, the day that God had prescribed in the Abrahamic covenant. And so Jesus is alluding to that, and he said, notice this. So Moses gave you circumcision. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you ticked off at me and want to kill me Because on the Sabbath day, I made a man better. I made a man better on the Sabbath, and you want to kill me for that. And yet, on the Sabbath day, you're willing to circumcise. Or on the Sabbath day, in another place, Jesus says you're willing to pull an ox out of the ditch if it gets stuck. And then Jesus said, don't judge by appearances but judge with right judgment. In the next paragraph, verse 25 to 31, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Here he is speaking openly, and and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And then notice 27, but we know where this guy comes from. When the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, you know where I came from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Okay, let's think about it. Here's the main point of the message. Here's the main point of the text. Jesus says this, says this, Stop making decisions. That's the word to judge. He's not just talking about this concept of like, oh, you're judging me because I got blue jeans on today. 
right? I'm a preacher and I should wear a three-piece suit. And so you're judging me. Okay, now, I know you're not. But some places in the world, people might do that, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about, like, judging. He's talking about making a decision. He is talking about people looking at him, and they are evaluating who he is. And some people said of Jesus, what? He's a good man. Remember that in the text? He's a good man. Some people said what? He's leading people astray. And there's all these people in the crowd who are muttering, it says. And they are murmuring. They are wondering who he is. And it's like a topic of conversation. And Jesus says, stop evaluating and coming to a settled opinion based on appearances. What you see. Instead, make a proper evaluation. There's going to be people this afternoon, the Will Graham event, that are going to hear the gospel, and they're going to evaluate it. Who is this Jesus? What has he done? And Jesus is telling us as people, don't make your decision based on what is visible. That's the word appearances. Don't make your, your decision based on what just seems visibly to be true to you. You better think deeper about it. You better come to a right judgment. Evaluate properly. Stop making decisions, evaluating something, coming to a settled opinion based merely on what you can see with your physical eye. Now, that tells us something, because the tense of this term is a command. Stop doing this. It's an imperative, and he's telling us to quit doing something that we currently are doing. That's the idea of the Greek. Quit doing something you currently are doing. Now, that tells me something. Jesus is telling us we are prone to make decisions based on what? Exteriors and superficial things. And that's every one of us, aren't we? If you analyze yourself and you look at yourself, it is very easy to evaluate what is true and what is important based on very superficial criteria. And Jesus confronting that about us as humans. And he's saying, don't just look at what you see. You better think about spiritual realities behind the scenes. Stop evaluating based on mere appearances. Now, this is important when we think about what we're, we're looking at over this week and next. This is an important concept to unpack. There are two critical areas that the Jews of Jesus' day were making a wrong assessment of Jesus. Two critical areas. Number one, as they looked at his person, who he is, they look at where was he born, you know, what did he do for a living, where did he get his education? 
Didn't that factor into this? What did they say? How can this man teach? He don't have any letters. They're looking at his education. And so they're looking at his person. And because of his person, many of them are stumbling over who he is. Why? Because he doesn't dazzle the crowd. He's just ordinary. I almost made my, my I talked about blue jeans already. My title of my sermon was going to be Blue Jeans Jesus. Right? Because he was just what? He just had dirt under his fingernails. He was just an ordinary guy. And they just look at him and think, how can this be the Messiah? And so they are stumbling over him because of his person. Here's the other critical area that the Jews were making a wrong assessment of Jesus. They looked at his method. What did he do? He healed somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, no. Oh, no. This guy broke the law. And what did Jesus say? You're willing to circumcise a baby on the Sabbath and you don't want me to make somebody better? What are you thinking? But they're looking at his method and they're stumbling over it, aren't they? He doesn't fit their notion of what is right. And because of that, they want to reject him and they even want to kill him, don't they? They even want to kill him. And so there are two critical areas that the Jews are making a wrong assessment of Jesus. It is his person and it is his method. We're going to talk about his person today and next week we'll look at his method. His method is this. He is telling these people, I am not about the letter of the law. I am about the what? The spirit of the law. And we're even going to see Jesus deal with this later in chapter 8 when they bring to him a woman taken in adultery. And they want him to do what? Stone her. Did she deserve to be stoned? Yeah. But so did every one of the guys that brought her to him. Right? And so Jesus is confronting all this stuff with the law. He says, none of you keep the law. None of you keep the law. So, they are stumbling over his person and they are stumbling over his method. Now, remember, let's do a real quick review. This is October. It is preceding the spring in which Jesus is crucified at Passover. This is six months since chapter 6, which was the Passover. Now we're at Booth's. And we see in this chapter, this is why this is in there, this is why the Holy Spirit is put it there, is because we see the Jews, the Jewish leaders, having a smoldering hatred for Jesus up till now. And from here on out, they express overt desire to kill him. They're trying to figure out here, in this last few months of Jesus' earthly life, they're trying to figure out how can we do away with him. we got to kill him. And that's all setting the stage for this. We see in this chapter, Jesus was on God's timetable, not his. He says to his brothers, you go up to the feast now. I'm not going to go now because your time is always here. My time has not yet come. We see two massive untruths that we are tempted to believe. This sets the stage. We talked about this last week but it sets the stage for where we're going today as Jesus tells us not to judge by appearance. 
First of all, we talked about this last week. We always are tempted to think if we were only in a position of power, then we could change the world. And so the Jews in chapter 6 saw Jesus heal the 5,000 and they want to make him king to throw off Rome. And we're tempted the same way. We just think, you know, if we were in a position of power, then we could force the world to do what we knew was right. And it doesn't bring in the kingdom. The other massive untruth that we are always tempted to believe, and it's what we're talking about here, is this. If we only had worldly prestige and popularity, then we could change the world. And that's why his brothers say to Jesus, go to the feast, dazzle the crowd. No one hides his agenda if he really wants to be known publicly. So go out there and put it on display. And we're always tempted to believe That if we as Christians were only popular, if we had prestige in the world's eyes, then it would bring in the kingdom and everybody would be saved. And yet Jesus is saying what? No. Jesus answers his brothers. He says, my time has not yet come. And he says, my message is not popular. It is confrontational. He says, the world hates me. Why does the world hate me? Because I testify at what? Of it what? Its deeds are evil. And so his message is confrontational. Let's go on and talk about this. I want to think about David for a minute. It's interesting to me. Let's talk about the person of Jesus, and let's set that over against David. Do not judge by appearance, but use a right judgment. Now, Jesus is in the lineage of King David. But when David first comes into the story of the Bible, is he king yet? No, he's not. He's a what? A know-nothing, do-nothing, no-education shepherd. Do you remember the story? Saul was set aside because of his disobedience. And God says to Samuel, I am going to have you anoint a new king. He sends him to Bethlehem to the family of Jesse and he anoints a new king. When Samuel gets there, And Jesse shows up to the sacrifice, and he brings his sons. The first son, the oldest son, is an impressive guy. And when when Samuel sees him, he is saying in his heart, what? The Lord's anointed is before him. Here is Abinadab. And what did God say to Samuel? The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. Don't look at how big he is. I've rejected him. It doesn't mean God didn't like him or God didn't love him. He's just saying he's not my choice to be the king. Why? Man does not see what the Lord sees. 
For man sees what is what? Appearances. What is visible. But the Lord sees what? The heart. Oh, how that dovetails with what Jesus just said. Don't look at appearances. Judge right. Think with me about David. Here's David. He comes from an obscure village. Bethlehem. He comes from an unknown family. Now, we all know who Jesse is now. But Samuel and the other Jews didn't. He's just a know-nothing family. Jesse. An unknown family. David is what? The youngest of the boys. In fact, when they came, they come and Jesse was told to show up at this sacrifice with all of his sons, which was the one boy that Jesse didn't even bother to go and get. The youngest. Why? Because he was still out in the hills taking care of the sheep. He had a disdained occupation. These were all true of David. And yet, when the Lord looked at David, the Lord saw something in the heart of David that he was a man who truly desired and loved the Lord. And God plucked him out of obscurity and placed him on the throne. So don't look at the way things appear. Look how? Rightly. Psalm 78 ends this way. God chose David his servant. He took him from the sheepfolds. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with what? A pure heart. And he guided them skillfully. David had no experience in governance. I mean, think about that. He had no experience. God takes him from obscurity and places him on the throne. Now, it didn't happen overnight, did it? David gets anointed, and does David automatically, immediately become the king? No. David had to go through what? More school of hard knocks. Because he is driven from the presence of Saul out into the wilderness, and he is persecuted. He goes through all this difficulty, but God chose David. And he takes him from the sheepfolds, and he puts him on the throne. Don't judge according to appearance. Judge rightly. Now let's think about Jesus. Jesus had no formal education. Why is that important? Is it wrong to have a formal education? No. Are are we even saying here by this that it's like a guy that's going to go into ministry should be no education and should not know letters? No, we're not saying that at all. But it's true of Jesus, right? It was true of Jesus. Paul sat at the feet of what rabbinic scholar? Gamaliel. And in many ways, Gamaliel prepared the way for Paul's powerful ministry. He sat under the feet of a rabbinic leader. Jesus did not. Jesus has no formal education. 
Why is that important? Here's why it's very important. Because if Jesus had sat at the feet of an earthly man like Gamaliel to get his education, everybody would have said the teaching of Jesus derives from another man. Right? It flowed to him through a rabbi. It did not. The teaching of Jesus derived from who? His father. That's the point of what Jesus said. I didn't get letters from men. Why? Because what I am teaching you has come to me directly from my father. That is why in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is 12 years old, 12-year-old kid, he's in the temple, and he's teaching all the Jewish leaders. His parents come and find him, and what did he say? I had to be about my father's business. Why? Because Jesus learned from his father through the Holy Spirit. Jesus has no formal education. To these people, that is a huge stumbling block. They look at him and he, they say he's a know-nothing person. And yet when he teaches the crowd, they hear him eagerly. In fact, at the end of Matthew, at the end of the chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says of Jesus that after Jesus was done teaching them, the crowd was astonished. They were astonished because he taught like someone who had authority, not like the other scribes. He had no formal education. Jesus has no distinguishing characteristics, right? No distinguishing characteristics. He has, as it says in Isaiah 53, he had no form or majesty. Remember in Isaiah 53, it begins, Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the Messiah, will grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form. He has no stately majesty. Though we should look at him. He has no beauty. I mean, think of like King Charles when he got coronated, right? It's all pomp and circumstance. It's crowns, it's glitz, and it's glamour. And Jesus has none of it. He has no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows. He is acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not value him. But he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way, yet the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was a know-nothing, do-nothing, ordinary kind of guy. God plucks him out of the obscurity in the world of which he lives, and the entire world has been changed. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about that reality. This man, who is God, living in a backwaters village, no education, 
you know, not traveled the world of his day. And yet his life not only has transformed your life, but it transformed the world. So much so, I was actually reading this this morning. There, there's a village in Egypt where there was this ancient garbage dump. can't remember the name of the village, but I think about 50 years ago, archaeologists found in this ancient garbage dump began to unearth manuscripts. Many of those manuscripts in this ancient village, I mean, treasure trove of manuscripts, many of them are just like Joe Blow so-and-so writing a note to his wife or a receipt for a sale of something. Many of that, that kind of thing. It's full of this stuff. The other thing that this ancient garbage dump is full of is little excerpts of the scriptures, the New Testament that we carry. The most ancient recent finds of manuscripts come from this dump. In fact, a month ago, they found an amazing papyri in this garbage dump that dates from the second century. Second century that has Matthew and Luke all through it. But the garbage dump in Egypt is full of what we read. Scripture. Now why is that important? Why is that important? Because in the second century, I mean, think of how soon this is. Like 60 years after Jesus lived, his fame, the writings of his apostles have gone everywhere and they have so permeated the world that they're ending up in garbage dumps. And he was a know-nothing, do-nothing guy from a little village. And yet his life changed everything. Amen. Don't judge by appearance. God just uses the ordinary. You need to quit. We got a big thing going on in Idaho Falls, don't we? And that's exciting. It's good. And Will Graham is going to have the opportunity to pluck, to harvest a lot of fruit of seeds that have been planted by a lot of people in a lot of people's lives. And he just gets to come in to, out of town like the hired gun and pick a lot of fruit. That's a good thing. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that it's just like the glitz, it's the glamour, it's the big event. And it's good. It's great. And I'm excited to do it, to be there. But you know what God uses? Typically, you, me, ordinary. Standing at the coffee shop, talking to someone else, sharing Jesus. Being faithful in your job. Hand in a track. 
doing what God puts on your heart to do every day. That's how Jesus typically works. Will gets to come pick some fruit. That's a great thing. But don't think that that's greater or more important than what you do every day. Don't judge by appearance. Judge right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get a part. We have a part. Lord, I thank you that when you came, you just modeled for us ordinariness. That you were just a Messiah with dirt under your fingernails. You didn't dazzle. You just taught. Yes, you did miracles, but they were for a purpose. I pray that, Lord, today you would bless the word as it goes forth in Idaho Falls. But, Lord, I pray that you would continue that work of, Lord, just being faithful in every person that is here, that we would live a life for your glory. Help us, Father, to stop thinking the way the world thinks, but to judge right. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen.